welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about how it is not over till the fat lady sings. And yes, I am talking about the 2020 election. One thing that perhaps uh, not everybody understands is that it is not the media who determines who has become the president of the United States. Now, if you have been listening to... uh, my show um, in 2016 or in recent months, you will know that um, I am a proud uh, and committed supporter of President Trump. However, this is not, this show today is not just for Trump supporters. In fact, um, perhaps it's even more important for people who um, are not, who did not vote for President Trump. Because this election that is in the process of being uh, decided um, right now is probably uh, the most important election of our time. And this is not just because of President Trump. It's about what happens if a, an election is allowed to be decided by um, a, a stolen election, by fraud. By counting ballots that shouldn't be counted, that are illegal, and by not counting ballots that should have been counted and have found themselves in random places all over this country, dropped there by mail postmasters, post uh, mailmen, or even in Canada, there was recently someone who was caught, a mailman traveling from New York to Canada with a bag of ballots. There's a whole, we're going to talk about uh, some of these things, examples of um, crazy, <laughs> crazy things that have, that have happened, illegal things. And, um, and, and, with, and I'm honored to have as my guest, Rick Gates, we're, we're going to um, ask him, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to turn this over to him in a minute, but I just want to make the point that um, we have seen really, really, Unprecedented things happen with this election. Not only all of the uh, different uh, irregularities and, and ballots being counted that shouldn't and not being counted that should. I mean, I myself actually in California, the first time ever, not that California would, not that this would change the presidential election because California is unfortunately uh, so democratic, but um, I, for the first year ever, I mean, I've been registered to vote since I was 18, first in New York where I grew up, um, and then when I moved to California. In recent years, getting absentee ballots, most of the time getting absentee For the first year, I had the same address for over 15 years, these last 15 years, and for the first year, lo and behold, the absentee ballot didn't come. And then when I went to the polls, um, though this woman, nice woman, nice poll, very uh, not crowded. There was no no problem going to the poll. Let me tell you. Um, and this poll, this woman and and her friends, you know, other people uh, at the poll um, tried to find me as a registered voter. They spent 
a half an hour trying different spellings of my name and all different things. They couldn't find me. That's so I can personally say that there was something weird um, in California, even. So why is this all important? Because um, if we allow the media, both the broadcast media, the cable media, and the um, social media to determine who the president is of the United States by all kinds of funny business, <laughs> then, um, then that's the end of democracy and the end of America. And if we let it happen now, it will happen. It will continue to happen. There won't be a fair election again, ever again, because if, if they were allowed to steal it in one year, then they will keep on stealing it. In fact, in California, the governor has just announced that um, he wants to have mail-in ballots for all the elections after this. Mail-in ballots, that is how you have the most fraud, and that is what happened with this election for why it became uh, so easily stolen. Well, let me get to my guest, uh, Rick Gates. He um, has risen through multiple senior roles in Donald Trump's campaign, starting with March 2016, when he was the deputy campaign man chairman of that campaign, and we know how successfully that turned out. And then, um, after Trump's election, he was the he served as the deputy chairman to the president-elect's inaugural committee. And then he is also a co-founder of the America First Policies Super PAC for the president. And of particular note. <laughs> For the current election, he was also involved in the 2000 presidential election in the recount. That was the hanging Chad election, and that was the last contested election in the U.S. So he has experience in all of these different aspects, and I am very honored to welcome you to Dr. Carol's Couch. Carol, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So why don't we start with... um, how 2016, <laughs> I mean, I know this would take probably weeks for you to answer this question, but how 2016 uh, is different when you were the deputy campaign chairman, how that was different than this year? Absolutely. A great question to start, you know, in terms of framing everything that's happened. In 2016, if you go back in, in history and remember, Donald Trump was never supposed to have won that election. He uh, had to fight the entirety of the Republican Party establishment. He had to fight at the convention to get the nomination. And then he was able to turn his efforts against Hillary Clinton in the general election. But there's one thing that is certain is Donald Trump is a fighter. And so it doesn't surprise me or anyone that's worked for him that, you know, he's fighting aggressively now for what he believes in. And I think this is, you know, a big part of it. Uh, There's two Uh, major differences, I think, between 2016 and 2020. The first, obviously, is the mail-in ballots, uh, exactly as you you state. Never before have we had uh, upwards of 65 million mail-in ballots uh, by the states uh, in any election. Uh, And that's going to play a significant role, you know, as we discuss what's been happening and why those mail-in ballots are so fraught with fraud and the problems that they have created. 
But the second thing that was, you know, substantially different this time around is the organic nature of Donald Trump's support. And one of the conditions of, of Donald Trump succeeding in this election was going to be getting voters out on Election Day. You know, we always uh, have a, you know, a belief that everybody is going to get up out of bed and go vote. But the reality is when it comes to it on Election Day, you know, for whatever reason, not everybody makes it out. And this was a big concern because we knew that the Democrats had attempted to pull ahead with uh, the, their mail-in uh, ballot strategy. Uh, and again, we'll see why in a few minutes, because it makes sense, you know, when you're using a paper-based system, if you want to commit uh, some sort of fraud. Um, but that organic support translated into this incredible, fierce intensity for Donald Trump, uh, both developed through his rallies, but then, as I said, organically, where groups were putting on these boat parades, you know, and, and car parades, and, and none of this was orchestrated by the campaign or the Republican National Committee. These were groups of people in communities, local areas coming together to show their support for Donald Trump. And we didn't have the ability or the resources or the time in 2016 to create it because this was the first time, you know, that Donald Trump was running. Fast forward four years later, that it was an amazing thing to watch unfold. And it is the single reason, in my opinion, of why Donald Trump won this election and uh, won the majority of legal votes, because all of those people came out to vote on Election Day. Yes, you know, I, I've seen, uh, even in California, in Malibu, Beverly Hills, it's been very, <laughs> very, uh, what, fulfilling to see all these flag parades, people in cars and so on. Um, I mean, so, so then, of course, it was a tremendous shock when after their, you know, people saw on television, if not in person, the rallies and there was so much enthusiasm and all of that. And so, you know, early in the evening on election day night, uh, it seemed like it was going to be a slam dunk for Trump. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, starting around the time that Fox called Arizona for Biden, um, everything went downhill. Explain that to us. Yeah, absolutely. And then here we go with the mail-in ballot. So when you actually tally the votes, in-person votes, which have no controversy whatsoever uh, by anybody in this election, because people physically had to go to a, a polling station, show identification, mark their ballot, and that ballot was immediately inserted into a scanning machine. So everything was done exactly how it had been done in 2016. The difference this time around is when Donald Trump had the lead in almost every key battleground state uh, through election night, uh, it wasn't until the mail-in ballots started getting counted that we saw this dramatic shift in the numbers. And, and I got to tell you, even for somebody that's been in politics a long time, when you have a 600-plus thousand margin in a state like Pennsylvania, where you're leading your competitor, uh, that's really hard to counteract. And when now today you see Donald Trump behind Joe Biden by 45,000 votes, it raises a lot of issues and concerns and certainly begs the question of what is going on in, in our election system. And we can get into specific states as we looked at Texas and Florida, 
who had millions of mail-in ballots counted as well, somehow they were able to count them the night of the election. But states like Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania somehow need, you know, extra days. In this case, almost an extra week uh, to count those mail-in and provisional ballots. And, and look, unfortunately, the paper-based system of the mail-in ballots lends itself to incredible amounts of fraud. And I think it's important for all your listeners to know that there's always been fraud in our elections. There has always been illegal voting in our elections. As Americans, we never really cared because it hasn't really uh, generated a, a situation where it's, it's gravely impacted the election results. And so we just kind of go on and don't really think about it. Now, today, we have an election that is so close we have to care about it. And what you're seeing is kind of a manifestation of decades of neglect of state election mm. commissions and electoral boards not doing the work that they needed to do to really move our election system forward. And, I mean, let's be honest. We're one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world, and we can't find a solution to mail-in voting. It's utterly absurd that our system is kind of this backwards that we can't protect the, the vote that has transpired, you know, in the 2020 election. Yes, you know, I've been speaking to some friends in Europe, and that is what they ask. How is it possible that the United States, with all its technological advances, can get this screwed up with an election? Like, where's the technology? Where's, you know, why... And, and, and actually, um, in regard to the current situation, that is part of the reason why um, there are these questionable ballots. A part of the reason is this glitch in one or two of the programs. Yeah, absolutely. So you have soft, yeah, software programs that are analyzing these ballots, um, and they're creating uh, a number of, uh, of issues um, with respect to how these ballots are, are counted, and in some cases, there is double voting. Um, so it's really creating uh, some issues. And, you know, the, um, the really, even worse than some of these different um, examples, um, is the fact that the media, both the, the, the um, broadcasting cable media and the um, social media, or Google and all of that, you know, that they are happy, well, they are not just happy, they're um, involved in trying, rather than being concerned, like everybody, whoever you voted for, you should care as an American you, that our election is protected, that whoever you wanted to vote for, that your vote got counted, and that the whole system is fair, even if you don't like Trump. Um, there's a much bigger issue at stake. And yet, instead of the media, you know, looking into that, like I'm sure, you know, in the, like in the press conferences, um, instead of them being interested in all of these different examples of fraud, they, they just want to put them down and say, Where, where's the evidence? Um, so why don't you talk to that part? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a very important part because one of the things that you go through in any election is this idea that, you know, there is fraud, but we don't pay attention to it. And as I just mentioned, because of the closeness of this election, that fraud is more evident. 
And what the Trump campaign is particularly doing now is gathering that evidence. Obviously, it's very difficult to kind of prove some of this before the election takes place. Um, and to make those accusations, you actually need to be able to match up uh, the votes with the uh, actual people that whether or not they voted. So like in Nevada, for example, and some cases, Pennsylvania, we are seeing, you know, deceased individuals miraculously vote, you know, uh, and, and that's pretty incredible. I didn't know we could do that, you know, uh, six feet under the ground. So it, 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 it raises a lot of serious and, and, you know, substantial questions about the way that our, our process is handled. And we've got to be able to, to do it better because you really can't have a situation where you have uh, these states where all these in-people uh, votes have occurred. You, you really get a result. And then we're turning into a form of uh, mail-in ballots or provisional ballots that really create this kind of uh, situation in, 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 our, in our democracy that these votes, you know, may, may be fraudulent. And, and unfortunately, the problem is trying to prove all that and gain all the evidence from it um, does take time. And, and that's why, you know, I, I think for everybody that, that wants a result um, out there immediately, we're just not in that situation that, you know, this could have gone either way. I mean, it's interesting your point about the media because let's, let's assume, you know, we had flipped tables and it was Donald Trump who was, you know, uh, declaring himself president elect and the vote count was still as close. You better believe that every person in America and probably outside of America would have been fighting against Donald Trump declaring uh, you know, right. uh, uh, himself president-elect, right? I mean, let's be honest and call it for what it is. And so, unfortunately, the media has played, I think, a very um, uh, unfortunate role in this election in, from the standpoint of setting the narrative. Because remember, you got to go back and look. Prior to the election, what was the major issue? It was uh, Donald Trump doesn't have a chance. Uh, national polls have Joe Biden ahead 17 points. Um, that narrative was designed to kind of create uh, voter depression uh, among certain demographics yeah. and, and other voter groups, right? Because if you say, wow, I mean, Trump's down 17 points, why should I go out and vote? That doesn't seem, you know, to make sense to me. And, yes. and so that's, that's kind of the starting point. And then the media on election night, and particularly Fox, as everybody is, is uh, you know, examining very closely, calls Arizona literally 32 minutes after the Arizona polls have closed and with only 72% of the vote in. And today we know that the Arizona vote is within half a percentage point. Now, the media uses something called the national election pool. Well, wait, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to, I need to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but we have to take a break at this time and we can start where you left off right when we come back. Um, my, this, there's so much that's so important about this. My guest is Rick Gates. Um, he was the 2016 deputy campaign chairman and is still very involved with President Trump and his campaign now. When we come back, we'll talk more about the election, where it stands now, what has been happening, and why this is so important. It's more than Trump, so stay tuned. Ask 
to the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about really the most important um, event of our lifetime, in a way. Uh, I mean, important in terms of being determinative over our freedoms and democracy in the United States, not just about whether Trump uh, gets to have another term or not. It's about whether our elections are going to stay fraud-free. And at the moment, that is not the case. My guest is Rick Gates, who was the um, 2016 deputy campaign chairman and has been involved in this campaign as well. And um, before the break, you were, um, you were, I know there are so many details about, about what's been going on, but you were, I, I had to interrupt you um, for the break. So why don't you just pick up where you left off? Absolutely. So we were talking about the media and specifically Fox calling Arizona for Joe Biden so early on in the campaign when even now, almost after a week, they have not finished counting the vote. And typically what the media organizations use is something called the national election pool. And that is kind of, you know, a system of shared data and results that come in so that the networks can typically verify and then call within a reasonable period of time uh, a particular state for a candidate uh, all around, you know, kind of the same time. It's very unusual to have a state call early. Um, and in this case, surprisingly, since Arizona had been so stringent toward Trump in 2016, to pick Arizona. I mean, when you think about it and go back and look, I mean, Fox had not even called Florida yet for Donald Trump when, you know, we knew at 915 
that uh, the president had, had won that state based on the voter turnout and the numbers that the president won. And so this is where you kind of get into that, like, what, what was the purpose of the media doing that? Why did they have to announce that result so early? Wouldn't it be prudent just on a, on a normal basis, regardless of whether it was a Republican or Democrat, to make sure enough of the vote was counted so that you could be certain uh, of the outcome? And again, this is where you kind of get into the question of, was the media trying to suppress or depress vote in other parts of the country uh, based on, you know, its actions and its announcements? Because it does have a psychological and mental impact, um, you know, on people when they hear uh, a certain candidate may have won, you know, enough states that it looks like it catapults into the presidency, then it makes those people feel like, well, my vote doesn't really matter at this point because that individual has already won. So it's a a question that's certainly going to be raised, you know, moving forward, as well as a lot of the questions surrounding the fraud in this election. I mean, this, you know, if anything is good that will come out of this, I hope, it's that people step back and say, okay, wait a minute. There may not have been systemic fraud. Uh, There may not have been, you know, just absolute egregious fraud. But now I've seen more of the American political process than I've ever seen before. (laughs) So how do we fix it? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, you know, and, and that's such a good point about um, how really, because the polls before Election Day, um, I mean, other than there was this one man who built, who bet $5 million on Trump winning. But other than yeah. that, you know, there were most of the polls that, that were reported as coming out for a Biden win. And not only did that... Um, uh, discourage people from coming out, like if they think, oh, well, what's the point? Biden's going to win, you know, uh, and, and especially in a time of lockdowns and COVID, where people are developing agoraphobia anyway, fear of going out, you know, being in crowds. And then, of course, they played up this whole thing. That's how they got the mail-in votes. Oh, it's so dangerous to go to the polling place and all of that. So, yes, you kind of didn't want to go out anyway. <laughs> and then, then they add this to it, like, what's the point? And also, that set up the expectation for fraud. Like, if there was all this media talking about all these polls that showed that Biden was going to win, then you wouldn't be surprised if Biden won. You would think it wasn't fraud. They projected that he was going to win. That's exactly right. And the way that the, uh, both the media outlined this and, and certainly, you know, as you look through the night, and all the states just kind of, you know, toppling uh, one after the other, and then so many of the states being in battleground. I mean, look, at the end of the night, what we learned is that our electoral process in the United States is broken. We had states where the vote counters actually abandoned the count. They went home. In Nevada, they didn't even come back the day after the election. They waited until the, the, the second day to come back and start counting. And again, we've had systems where Florida and Texas have obviously learned by, you know, experience and an example of how to do it. Why do we have some states that can count all the ballots in one night, including mail-in ballots? And certainly there are a lot more ballots in Florida than there were in Arizona. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so Florida and Texas can get all their ballots counted, but so many other states can't. That, that tells us that we have... Very, uh, you know, just uncodified election system where we have 50 different electoral processes in, in the U.S., and that is not conducive for a national election. 
we shouldn't have to wait a week to determine whether or not, you know, uh, an individual candidate has been elected president or not. And certainly when you start looking into the shenanigans, uh, how votes miraculously appear, you know, uh, in Michigan, as an example, where you had a, I think it was about 400,000 votes, not one single one of them was for Donald Trump. I mean, that's a statistical anomaly. Could it happen? Yes. Yeah, it could, but did it really happen? No, probably not. And, and so when you start seeing these types of things, you know, you start to question, well, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. And so, look, Donald Trump is doing everything he should be doing. Uh, he absolutely should call into question the results of some of the states. Um, we need to get down, and this is where the recounts are important, and, and people need to understand that once you start getting the recount, then you start kind of getting to examine those individual ballots. And you can say, whoa, wait a minute, that one you know, doesn't look uh, accurate. And look, it, it, in all fairness, these election workers, these poll workers, they're volunteers. They're human. Are, are errors going to be made? Absolutely. Have errors been made in the past? Of course they have. But this goes back to that point. We just haven't had an election this close where now it really matters. So we need to be more accurate. We need to do a better job this time around than ever before because of the stakes, um, you know, in this election. And so as we peel back into the layers of these these recount states, that's exactly what we're going to find. Well, you know, maybe if, um, I mean, first of all, I think we should, in the, certainly by the next presidential election, we should um, make it more mandatory or, uh, you know, for people to actually come in and vote. Um, I mean, yes, there are, are exceptions and so on, you know, if you're disabled. or. But, I mean, I think we need to have more of a, a larger number of people coming in than people just um sitting at home, and I say this as someone who, who used to send in a lot of absentee ballots because it was just more convenient, but, um, but the thing is that maybe we need to have either a better, really uh, very well protected, maybe with double, triple layers of protection in terms of technology, or um, we need to not just have volunteers as um, pollsters, that we need to perhaps pay them something and, and do background checks. Because I think that in these states, these key states that, you know, like where they put up the uh, cardboard over the windows, for example. I mean, obviously not all these pollsters are, um, are honest. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's unfortunately what we've seen in this election cycle. Um, because of the emotional attachment to, you know, uh, the candidates, and, and really it was more of Donald Trump. You kind of either love him or hate him. I mean, early on with some of these early ballots, you know, that we found, like, you know, the, the postal worker just kind of tossed a bunch, you know, uh, you know in, in a trash can. Somebody else in a polling station opened numbers of ballots, uh, and, and they were spoiled ballots then. And, and all these have been investigated. Look, I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't looked, but the last time we had the FBI actually investigate election fraud uh, was probably a long time ago. And we had the FBI investigating uh, specific instances of election fraud this cycle, um, you know, and, and during this election. So, you know, we really got to step back after this and, and really evaluate how we want elections to move forward, because I, I am a huge proponent of saying mail-in ballots don't work. They uh, offer the most amount of, of fraud 
And, and what you're seeing is a lot of state officials coming out and saying, hey, there's no fraud, uh, or, or we didn't perpetrate the fraud. And, and, and to some extent, that may be true. Some of the state workers, you know, the state election officials, I'm sure they're not behind the fraud. But that doesn't mean the postal worker or the volunteer counter or some sort of other combination of people who just don't like a specific candidate say, you know what, I'm going to toss that one in the trash can or I'm going to let that one go or I'm going to throw that one away. I mean, those things matter. And this is exactly, you know, what we need to do. We've got to, I mean, (laughs) it's going to be funny to say we need to remove kind of the political motivation out of politics, out of political elections. Um, because when you mm-hmm. when people are, are politically uh, you know motivated uh, over one candidate over the other, and it's really hard to step back and say people you know could really be you know uh, down the middle on their feelings for both you know Trump and Biden and not really have a political persuasion. That's too hard to believe given the stakes of this election and given the emotion of this election. So you know we've yeah. really got to step back and, and look at national standards moving forward using technology, and I know there are going to be the arguments of people can hack our adversaries, China, Russia, North yeah, Korea, they can all hack the system. True. But, but it is true, we need to look at it, but that's all the more reason to protect, you know, uh, the, the types of election systems we build. But i got to tell you, I'd rather try to prevent, you know, hacking from a foreign adversary than corrupt activity domestically from our own, you know, people yeah. or Americans that are manipulating mail-in ballots. Yes, yes. Um, you know, it's very interesting. As a psychiatrist, I have found it very interesting to look at the phenomenon. Um, President Trump is a phenomenon that people um, either love him or hate him with equal, probably equally strong emotions. And the people who hate him, um, really, the majority of them, I mean, they can, they'll all have excuses or reasons for why they hate him or why they think he's bad or whatever. But really, the majority of them are jealous of him, of his success, and, um, and his chutzpah, his nerve, you know, to get things done that so many other presidents um, didn't, didn't get done and didn't think could get done. And um, so people are jealous of that. And afraid of that. A thousand what do you percent. Think? And, and absolutely. And, and one of the, I think, most unique aspects that I was, you know, privy to in, in working for Donald Trump is his, uh, his out, he's an outsider. He's not political. Uh, you know, he always used to tell us he's not presidential. And when you look at that on, on glance, you're saying, well, wait a minute, you know, you kind of need to be presidential. But his point is, no, you don't. You need to be who you are. This is the guy I used to get asked a question all the time. Is he different behind the scenes? No, he's not. I mean, he is exactly who he is that you see on TV. He, he is like that with his staff. He is like that, you know, with his campaign supporters. I mean, one of the greatest reasons he was elected is because that resonated with people. They were tired of the politicians who did nothing, who continue to make promises, who you know, uh, sided on a policy issue one way, and then when they got elected, they went back another way. And we've had decades of it, Republican and Democrats alike. It's not, you know, one side or the other. But Donald Trump was somebody who didn't come from that world. He had never served political office, uh, not one single day. And that's what people loved about him. I mean, one of the things I, I actually put in my book that I thought fascinating 
in 2016, in some of those key battleground states, we had uh, Bernie Sanders supporters voting for us. You know, Wisconsin had 55,000 Bernie Sanders supporters vote for us. And the simple reason that they did is because they wanted an outsider to be president. They didn't want somebody that had been part of the same Washington establishment system to go back and, and, and have more of the status quo. And that says a lot, you know, about, you know, our American society, the way the American voters were thinking in 2016. And a lot of that resonated in 2020. Um, you know, and again, I, I think we, we saw, look, 71 million people voted for Donald Trump. That is not a blue wave or, you know, a, 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 a landslide uh, by any stretch. I mean, he is within, you know, a hair of the popular vote. And a lot of people didn't expect that. And so that ought to tell you what the American, you know, people are thinking. They're not thinking that, you know, Donald Trump's somebody they didn't like. They clearly liked him because he has that many votes. And now as we get down to the electoral process itself uh, and the electoral college, you know, we'll figure out if he can get to the 270, uh, which I believe he can. But this is why, to your point, people do love him and hate him. It's because he is not politically correct, and he is the person that you see, and you're absolutely right. He made a lot of people jealous, particularly people in politics, who were very frustrated that they had, quote, paid their dues and run Mm. for some sort of other political office and never could make it. I mean, you want to know why Mm. Mitt Romney is so frustrated with Donald Trump? Because Mitt Romney couldn't sell it like Donald Trump can. Mitt Romney couldn't make it like Donald Trump can. And so, yeah, yeah it, burns, it burns Mitt Romney up, as it does, you know, other candidates that they said, how can a guy like this get elected, but I can't, you know? And, and so that's right. exactly where your, your jealousy element uh, arises. Same thing, with look, jo- same thing with John McCain. <laughs> that was the problem yeah. with John McCain, too. And the two of them uh, turned against the president. Well, all right, we need to yeah, take absolutely. another break. When we come, when we come back, um, I will be... Asking my guest Rick Gates um, where where we go from here, where what what he thinks is going to be happening here. Does Trump still have a chance? Uh, and again, it's not over till the fat lady sings. So stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's Hot Topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about how it is not over till the fat lady sings. The question and the horrendous, uh, you know, as if 2020 wasn't bad enough with Chaz and Chad and riots and uh, looting and coronavirus and all of that. I think the worst thing of all is what's happening right now, which is the election being attempted to be stolen from President Trump. Um, My guest uh, is Rick Gates the 2016 deputy campaign chairman for President Trump and also involved in this current election. His book is called Wicked Game, an insider's story on how Trump won, Mueller failed, and America lost. So um, let's, I said we were going to talk about where we go from here. I mean, one thing I want to mention, I mean, you know, as I was alluded to earlier, one of the things that um, really bothers me is this, because it's so, such a, we're like in a dystopian society. Um, you know, when the, when the looting was going on in Seattle, I was talking about Animal Farm, how it was just, this is like George Orwell's Animal Farm. I mean, nobody, nobody else was saying, coming out and saying that, but that's what it was, Animal Farm. Um, and, uh, and, of course, we have 1984, um, and, and the things that are going on in our society, especially with this election being attempted to be stolen, whether it's, you know, some of it may be innocent uh, incompetence, but certainly there is enough to, to say that some of it is fraud, is purposeful. Um, you know, I remember elementary school, uh, junior high school, high school, uh, you know, you learn about history and government and all that, and this is not what's supposed to be going on. I mean, unfortunately, education has changed, and they might be teaching that this is what's supposed to be going on now. But, um, but in any case, what, what is really particularly upsetting is the media not giving America the right story, whether it was before the election with these polls and leading us to believe that Biden was going to win, so now we don't question it as much, or we, we're not supposed to question it, that he did supposedly win. He hasn't won. He's not the president-elect. Don't you get sick of hearing, like in the media, when they introduce Biden as president-elect? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's... Uh very uh, disingenuous at this stage to, to do that because the vote has not been counted. 
uh, look, the election is not over. And this is where it gets uh, fun. And you also get to learn a little bit about history. And right now, if you look at the uh, electoral map and the, and the state of things, um, while the media has called certain states for Joe Biden, there are vote counts that are considerably close. Right now, we know that there are going to be, without doubt, three states that have to go to an automatic recount, uh, Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin. And there may be a fourth in Pennsylvania. In addition, as part of our democratic process and the way that these you know, presidential elections work, states actually have to certify the votes. So any type of media pronouncement or prediction, it really doesn't amount to anything or really matter other than it makes, you know, great news for TV and gives all the pundits something to talk about. Um, at the end of the day, those states have to certify votes by December 8th. Now, each state has a different timeline. And, uh, you know, through the course of, you know, it's counting and whatnot, it'll, it'll certify those votes. But then those certifications go to the Electoral College. And well, then wait, on could December you just, 14th... Wait, 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 wait. wait. Uh, okay, and by certified, could you just explain by certified what do they have to do? Absolutely. So that means all of the precincts in the state have to report to they, their state board of elections. And the state board of elections has to sign off and verify that the actual number of votes counted for each candidate is accurate and true. And then the governor puts his little state seal uh, on an official letter that's transmitted uh, to the Electoral College to indicate that a, a certain state has, you know, uh, been won by either Trump or Biden. So it's, it's everything at this point, everything going on right now, is a combination of a public relations, you know, game. It's a war of words. Uh, and then we have the legal process. Um, so, yeah, to back up to those three states that I mentioned, a recount uh, will occur. Those recounts can't physically start until at the earliest next week because the state actually has to say, we think this is the vote count. So they have to lock in those numbers. And then they can go back and recount because you will, there's no doubt whatsoever that the vote count will change from the recount. You're going to find, you know, uh, uh, messed up ballots. You're going to find that, you know, a, a volunteer worker put in a wrong number somewhere. I mean, again, you kind of factor some of it up to human error. You hope it's not deliberate. Some of it will be deliberate. And, but this is what recounts do. They go and they kind of expose uh, you know, any type of malfeasance or issue, and then they give each campaign the ability to have a closer look, um, you know, at, at these ballots and, and kind of how the states calculated these numbers. So when all that's done and they're certified, Governor slaps his, you know, state stamp, you know, on the, on the uh, paperwork, sends it up to the Electoral College, and then on December 14th, the Electoral College meets. And for your listeners, that's you know, each state is uh, given a certain number of electoral votes. So it's not obviously done on a popular vote. So, for example, Arizona has 11, Georgia has 16, Pennsylvania has 20 electoral votes. That's how we get up to 270. Now, there's something that most people probably don't know, uh, and there's something called a faithless elector. So each state selects a member to represent one electoral vote, for, you know, whatever number of electoral votes it has, 
use Pennsylvania as 20 votes. They send 20 voters to uh, the Electoral College meeting in, in Washington and, in, and, uh, on December 14th. Now, interestingly, the Founding Fathers never put any provisions in there for those voters actually having to vote uh, the way that they're told. It goes back to, you know, kind of a, a, you have a, a consciousness about you that you say, you know what, I, I just don't like the way this all panned out. I do think there was fraud. I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden. I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. And that electoral voter has the ability to do that. Uh, most of the states that assign a penalty only assign a financial penalty. So there's no criminal penalty for changing your vote. So, for example, if Joe Biden wins, you know, the state of California and an elector uh, goes, uh, you know, to the Electoral College and votes for Donald Trump, uh, there's not a a whole lot they can do. And look, this is interesting because it's never really been exposed before. We've never really been tested like this. Um, Usually it's a slam dunk, right? How how do you get to be a, a faithless elector? Well, the faithless electors are the ones that actually vote against who they're supposed to. What, what most of the time happens is uh, a state, there's a state process. Each state has a process it uses similar to how it chooses delegates to go to national conventions. Uh, it chooses uh-huh. electors to go to uh, the electoral college meeting to actually cast that vote. So, for example, as recent as 2016, there were two electoral uh, college voters that did not vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, and there uh-huh. are parameters, you know, and, and, and ways of recourse, you know, kind of around it. But it sets up a very interesting scenario because what happens is on December 14th, that vote is tallied and then it's submitted to uh, the United States Congress, to the House and the Senate. And then the House and the Senate on January 6th are charged with tabulating the, the results. Now, some states have kind of secret ballots for these electoral college votes. So we really don't know what the exact number is or the total number is for each candidate until we get to that January 6th deadline. Now, here's the real interesting part. And this is where, you know, nobody has paid attention to the Constitution because we've never really had to in our lifetimes. But on January 6th at the House and Senate, they open the votes and they see that neither candidate has 270 electoral college votes for whatever reason. (laughs) Then the House selects the president, and the Senate selects the vice president. And now it gets even better. Yeah. So most people think, oh, the House, well, that's controlled by the Democrats, so then it would be a Democratic president. Well, again, in, yeah. the, founding father's wis- in the Founding Fathers' wisdom, it's not my majority of votes. So not every House member gets a vote. What happens is each state gets one vote based on the representation of its delegation. So, again, if you're from Pennsylvania and you have um, 19 Republican members of Congress and 18 Democratic members of Congress, guess what? The Republicans get one vote. And right now, currently, right now, currently, the Republicans are leading uh, with uh, 24 uh, delegate votes. And what happens is the vote actually occurs on January 6th. So it actually includes the new Congress, not the old one. And because of the way some of the Republicans picked up seats in the House, and not that we ever get to this point, but if you do, it's kind of interesting to think about because then here all of a sudden, you know, Nancy Pelosi's claims about a blue wave and sweeping, you know, the House and all that stuff are actually going to be to her detriment 
because those five, you know, pickup seats that the Republicans got on election night in the House of Representatives, well, that gave them two additional state delegations. It actually flipped the majority of two state delegations, one of uh, which was uh, Iowa. And so now, if the House has to take a vote, Donald Trump becomes president. So I would love nothing more than to see the photo op of Nancy Pelosi presiding over the House when she has to announce Donald Trump as president again. I think that would probably, uh, you know, knock her out of office for the duration. Um, and, yes. then, and then the Senate, and then the interesting thing is the Senate actually votes for the vice president. Uh, in the Senate, it's different. Each member of the Senate does get a vote. So, again, depending on how the Senate wraps up, right now the Senate is at 50. Tom Tillis was just declared in North Carolina. So you have two votes left in Georgia. There are two runoff elections which occur uh, in early January. And uh, depending on how those go, the Republicans are expected to maintain control. So even if they only get one of the two seats, that gives them 51 votes. And then Mike Pence would be elected as the vice president. A much harder way to get to the election than just outright winning it, but certainly fascinating from a constitutional perspective on all the kind of ins and outs that could still happen between now and uh, January 6th. And then constitutionally, January 20th uh, is our inauguration day. So that is, you know, where every president, again, no matter you know, what party, has to be sworn in on that day. Why yes, and that, this, is, this is very interesting stuff. And, and uh, even there's also the other whole thing of if one of these, uh, through the legal means, it ends up in the Supreme Court, which that's another way that uh, Trump could get a second term. Well, I want to thank my guest uh, for all of your insights, Rick Gates. Uh, again, his book is called Wicked Game, an insider's story on how Trump won, Mueller failed, and America lost. Well, let's hope that America doesn't lose by having a fraudulent election in 2020, because it will be downhill from there. From your thank lips you to God's listening. ears. Yes. Thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Thank you so much, Rick Gates. And um, tune in again next week. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 